Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. In our vast collection of personal memories, each one of us has some which are particularly meaningful for a variety of reasons. In this Bagel Side Chat number four, Roger Womble recalls two particularly meaningful memories of his many times spent in Israel, their relevance to the founding of the mission which he directs, and to the situation in which the Jewish people find themselves today. Join us as Roger reflects on the past with an eye toward the present and the future in this episode of Ancient Words, Modern Message, an episode we call simply Meaningful Memories. From time to time, we take a break from the series of systematic studies of biblical material for an informal chat reminiscent of FDR's fireside chats heard by radio between the years 1933 and 1944, in which he sought to inform and encourage the American people facing the daunting task of recovering from the Great Depression and defeating the Axis powers of Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan in World War II. Our purpose in these chats is to inform and encourage people regarding the role of national Israel and the Jewish people in God's redemptive plan for the world, a role which has not changed since the Old Testament prophets looked into the future and saw events yet to be fulfilled, expressing their insight in ancient words with a modern message. I'm so glad that you are joining me for this fourth informal episode. As I record this, I'm not sitting by a fireside, as was FDR, but I could well be sitting next to a cup of coffee and a bagel. So we call this a bagel side chat. And now, let me share some thoughts with you which I hope will be helpful in understanding the Jewish people and God's plan for them today and in the future. It's been my privilege as director of Hebrew Christian Fellowship to make many trips to Israel on mission business. And I've had the opportunity to uh, encounter numerous very, very moving experiences while being there in the land. But there are two which stand out in my mind and in my memory as being particularly moving. The first was some years ago when I was traveling with one of our ministry affiliates, an Israeli Jewish believer, uh, traveling in Israel, and we visited a kibbutz, in the northern part of Israel. You may know that uh, the kibbutz in Israel is 
for lack of a better term, a cooperative community. And there are about 300 of these kibbutzim uh, spread throughout the land of Israel from north to south. On this particular occasion, uh, we, uh, our ministry affiliate in Israel, and I, uh, were visiting the kibbutz and uh, actually visiting a gentleman whom our ministry affiliate had gotten to know uh, during previous visits. And I soon learned in my time visiting him as we sat in his little apartment on the kibbutz that he was a Holocaust survivor. And in fact, uh, his wife was also a Holocaust survivor. Uh, they were both young adults during the Holocaust, and they did not meet until after the liberation of the death camps, uh, from which both of them were uh, blessed uh, to be released, having survived. And uh, on this particular occasion, this gentleman was talking a bit about his own personal experiences uh, as he lived through the horror of the Holocaust, during which time Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime were intent on completely annihilating the, the Jewish people in all of Europe. And as we know, uh, approximately 6 million Jews of the 13 million Jews living in Europe at that time before the Nazi takeover, uh, 6 million of the 13 perished in the various death camps. And so Hitler was well on his way to accomplishing his goal. The gentleman whom we were visiting did not go into a great detail about what he had experienced. That's characteristic, I understand, of Holocaust survivors overall. They're really not very eager to share in detail their experiences. And we know that by now, there are fewer and fewer survivors of the Holocaust to tell their story. This is one of the reasons why the uh, Israel Holocaust Memorial and Museum uh, in Jerusalem called Yad Vashem is actually systematically trying to uh, record uh, videotapes of the testimony of Holocaust survivors before they all pass away, so that there can be a permanent record of the firsthand experience of these individuals. What struck me particularly on the occasion of this visit at the kibbutz was that this gentleman told us that on that very day that we were visiting there with him, his grandson was actually part of a group of Israeli Jewish high school students who were going to Europe and visiting the various locations of the various death camps, concentration camps in Germany and in Poland. Uh, 
And on that particular day, this gentleman told us, his grandson was visiting the camp where he himself had been a prisoner many, many years before. He told us that over the years, the various administrators of uh, high schools in Israel, uh, which actually coordinated these trips by high school students to the concentration camps and death camps uh, in Europe, observed that the students themselves had a very, very difficult time uh, embracing what it was that they were seeing. And sometimes it became emotionally uh, traumatic. And so they suggested that a way of mitigating this would be to have the Holocaust survivors whose family members would be visiting the death camps write a note, a letter uh, to their grandson, granddaughter, family member, a letter to be opened by that student when visiting the death camps. And this gentleman at the kibbutz told us that that very day, perhaps even at that very time, his grandson was opening the letter which he himself, the grandfather, had written to his grandson, in which he tried to give a sense of how difficult it was, but at the same time, how important it would be to remember what happened to the Jewish people in those terrible, terrible places. And of course, from that experience of the Jewish people in the Holocaust came the expression, which really has become something of a motto of the Jewish people, regarding the attempts to destroy them and annihilate them, attempts which have been made really throughout history, before Adolf Hitler and, unfortunately, since Adolf Hitler. That motto is very simply this in Hebrew, but the English is, never again, never again. And so the commitments of individuals that they would like to pass on, that is survivors of the Holocaust, would like to pass on to their descendants is be very, very careful that we as a people never allow this to happen to us again. That was one of the most moving experiences that <clears throat> I've ever had visiting in Israel. The second one was some years later, when I had the privilege of having my wife Phyllis accompany me, accompany me uh, in travel to Israel. And on this particular occasion, uh, we, were, we were going with friends uh, in the city of Haifa, Israeli, Jewish, believing friends in the city of Haifa. We were going to see a production of the very, very well-known musical, Fiddler on the Roof. The production was done by an Israeli theater company called uh, the Light Opera Company of the Negev. And fortunately, the production was in English. 
so I could understand exactly what was being presented. However, uh, the important thing to note is that in the, the audience of that theater for that production, I would say that virtually everyone, if not everyone, but for my wife and myself, everyone uh, was Jewish. And though I've enjoyed attending performances of this wonderful musical many, many times over the years, it struck me on that occasion that I've never actually been uh, and part of an audience uh, that is virtually completely Jewish. It also occurred to me that there in that audience, there could well have been Holocaust survivors, or at least descendants or relatives of Holocaust survivors. Now, I'm sure that most of you who are hearing this podcast are familiar uh, with the storyline of Fiddler on the Roof. And you know, the story is uh, a very charming story about uh, a, uh, a Jewish milkman whose name is Tevier, who has a number of daughters. And uh, actually, Tevier and his wife struggle with uh, the time-honored and long-held traditions of the Jewish people and how those traditions were being challenged by younger generations. The, the setting of the, uh, of the story is a shtetl. That is a very small uh, village, uh, and it's an imaginary uh, village, an imaginary shtetl called Anatevka. Uh, it is set in what we would know today to be uh, the country of the Ukraine. Uh, and it is set in a period of time which was Tsarist Russia, just prior to the Bolshevik Revolution, the Russian Revolution in 1917, resulting in the establishment of the communist government over the various states of, of Russia. And as the story moves along, there comes a point where, once again, the civil authorities of Anatevka move in on the, the Jewish villagers, the little Jewish settlement within the shtetl of Anatevka. And it is decided by an edict of the government that they must, in a very, very short period of time, pack up everything they have and leave and move and go somewhere else. And one of the most moving settings is where the villagers, the Jewish villagers, have packed everything up in their oxen-drawn or horse-drawn or cow-drawn carts, and they are actually plotting out of their long-time home of Anatevka with heavy hearts and in many cases, broken hearts. 
It occurred to me as I was sitting observing this production that at that very point in time, there was what I would consider to be among the members of the audience, a palpable silence, but more than a silence, a palpable sense of the emotional movement of the people in that audience. And as I pondered it and thought it, thought about it later on, I realized that, that the experience of Tevier and his family and his neighbors of having to once again leave the place that had been their home by the edict and the authority of the government, that that experience of Tevier and his family and his neighbors and his friends is an experience that has been uh, that has been had by the Jewish people time and time and time again over the centuries. And it occurred to me that these very people around me in the audience, speaking among themselves Hebrew for the most part and not English, though they could understand English, uh, that that these people, in many cases, had family members who have experienced this very thing, whether it had been in the Holocaust or at some other period of time, when they, as Jewish people, were forced out of their homes in a very overt form of anti-Semitism, uh, discrimination, but in, in the case of many Jewish people, that discrimination and that anti-Semitism has not been quite so overt, but rather it has been exclusion in some cases here in our own United States of America uh, back in the early part of the 20th century and uh, on into the mid part of the 20th century, on into the 60s. Exclusion from certain uh, venues like country clubs and, uh, and entertainment venues. And so that audience had experienced, many of them, the very kind of discrimination and anti-Semitism that was portrayed on the stage in the production Fiddler on the Roof. That likewise was incredibly moving for my wife and me, and we think about that very, very often. <clears throat> we here at Hebrew Christian Fellowship, in this year of 2024, are going to be observing the 80th anniversary of the founding of our mission in the spring of 1944. Now, it's important to, to remember that when our mission was founded in the spring of 1944, right around the period of the D-Day invasion on June 6th, that's when our mission was founded in 1944. The war was still raging on. The Holocaust was uh, intense. And though some reports had, uh, had leaked out of Europe and had reached uh, the attention of others outside of Nazi-controlled uh, lands, of what was going on in the various concentration camps and death camps. 
but it would remain for the full horrible extent of that to be known uh, at the conclusion of the war and the liberation of the of the camps in 1945 and so it was in the midst of that period of time when the war was raging and it was not a certainty uh, who would even win the war that uh, the founder of our mission reverend o e phillips and a group of uh, of uh, godly Christian laymen and pastors in the Philadelphia area and somewhat outside of the Philadelphia area felt led of the Lord to establish a ministry to the Jewish people called Hebrew Christian Fellowship. And of course, one of the early tasks of the board and our founder, Reverend O.E. Phillips, was to arrive at a name for this new ministry, this new mission. And so some time was spent in prayer and consideration and in determining uh, that the name would ultimately be Hebrew Christian Fellowship. Uh, Reverend Phillips noted this. He said, and it is uh, presented in the the first official publication of the mission, the Hebrew Christian Fellowship Bulletin that was printed and published in the spring of 1944, Reverend Phillips noted this, and I'm quoting, when the war shall be over, probably great numbers of Jews will be coming to our shores. Many of them will need food, clothing, a place of refuge, and relief for their suffering bodies. And then he went on to say this, We do not make a distinction between Gentile Christians and Hebrew Christians. They are one in Christ. The name, that is Hebrew Christian Fellowship, the name has been selected because it is our offer of friendship and sympathy to suffering Israel. Whether they be Christians or not, we would like to offer our sincere sympathy, share their sorrows, help them with their problems, and point them to Him who can heal the broken heart and show them the silver lining of a better day. I would submit to you that that was the heartfelt motivation of Reverend Phillips and these godly laymen and pastors in establishing the ministry which continues to this day, 80 years later. We, of course, are at a period of time right now when world opinion has indeed turned once again against Israel and the Jewish people. And there are a lot of deep, deep feelings on the part of Jewish people regarding the hostility toward them. We don't know what the immediate future holds for the state of Israel, and for the Jewish people in Israel, and even worldwide. 
But we do know this, that the prophetic scriptures make it clear that difficult, difficult, difficult days for the Jewish people, national Israel, and the state of Israel are yet to come. There will be many who will be suffering. And it remains for the people of God to, in the words of Reverend O.E. Phillips, whether they be Christians or not, we would like to offer our sincere sympathy, share their sorrows, help them with their problems, and point them, yes, point them to him who can heal the broken heart and show them the silver lining of a better day. The mission statement of Hebrew Christian Fellowship is this. The mission of Hebrew Christian Fellowship is to reach out lovingly and sensitively to Jewish people with the gospel of Messiah Jesus. That is, we do indeed desire to point Jewish people uh, to the one uh, who can heal their broken heart and show them the silver lining of a better day. And it is our privilege to continue to do that as we have been doing it for the last 80 years, motivated very, very simply by love and reaching out sensitively as we understand and respect the culture, the heritage, the thinking of the Jewish people. But at the same time, just as O.E. Phillips said, whether they be Christians or not, whether they respond or not to our presentation of the gospel lovingly and sensitively, nonetheless, we love them and we care about them. And as God gives us the opportunity, as has been the mission of our mission for these last 80 years, we would like to continue to do that and help them in any way we can. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to uh, this Bagel Side Chat. It's my hope that as a result of just this bit that I've shared with you, uh, you will have a sense of what our motivation is here at Hebrew Christian Fellowship. Now, we know, of course, that the scriptures have much to say about God's plan for national Israel and the role that Israel and the Jewish people play uh, in his plan as revealed in the Old Testament and New Testament prophetic scriptures. And that is the reason why, systematically, we are privileged and pleased to be able to present studies of some of the passages of Scripture, careful studies of the passages of Scripture, and in particular, uh, what God is telling us about Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, understandably and admittedly, what we're studying are ancient words, ancient words. Ah, yes, but without a doubt, without a question, uh, these 
ancient words have for us today in 2024 a modern message. And so please join us again for the next episode of Ancient Words, Modern Message. And may God bless you and your family. And may God be pleased to use us for his honor and his glory. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcast. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, Roger Womble reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.